Stuart, thank you so much for being on Flute Unscripted again. Twice. I know, what an honor. Um, and this is a little different because the first time you were here, it was live and we had a whole bunch of people. It was before the pandemic and it was in our old space. Um, and now I get to see you uh, through Zoom. Where are you calling in from? I'm calling in from Buffalo, New York and you might hear one of the trams coming by <laughs> the hotel room. So pardon the audio. Yeah. Well, I just finished playing a concert at 10.30 in the morning. Oh my gosh. And can you tell us a little bit more about what this concert was and what you're gearing up to do this coming weekend? Sure. I'm happy to. Thank you. I had the just the absolute honor of being chosen to perform in a Lucas Foss celebration. Lucas Foss, as we know, is an American composer, conductor, kind of just an all-around jovial person who had such an impact on the city of Buffalo, New York, as well as other orchestras, but also in the composition world. So we have his music. Can you hear the, the tram? <laughs> hey, it's going. So we have his music to look to for fun and some kind of Americana. And someone backstage said, it sounds a little Buffalo in his music. And I, I said, what does Buffalo sound like? Yeah. <laughs> How do you compose a city? But that's what composers' jobs are. So Lucas Foss is turning 100 in heaven. And uh, we are celebrating that birthday by appearing twice in Buffalo and once in Carnegie Hall. And the fact that everyone came out and said, hey, we love this composer and this conductor so much and this Buffalo Philharmonic and Joanne Folletta, who is at the core and the heart of the Buffalo Philharmonic as a conductor. We love all these people, think these things and these people so much that let's rent out Carnegie Hall. So Trinity Wall Street, which is right. I played the concert series there so many times as a student at Juilliard and it suffered at 9-11. And they've come back to be able, with Opus 3 artists, to rent the entire hall and buy all 4,000 plus seats. Wow. So it's free in Carnegie Hall as a gift to the city of New York. My yeah. heart is melting just thinking about it, right? Right. So it's hard to buy tickets, you guys. You got to kind of go to the box office and say, hi, I'm here for the free ticket. Uh, it's really hard. You go online and you're like, how can I reserve? You can't. So you you hit up all your friends <laughs> in the city and say, could you could you go to the box office for me? And it's that easy, seriously. Yeah. I, any New Yorker would do that for you. Um, okay, so it's Lucas Foss's Renaissance Concerto, commissioned by Carol Winsens, premiered in 1986, uh, written in 1985, uh, and in 2000 I played it right with the with the Ann Arbor Symphony, and I saw her at the Jeannie Backstresser International Masterclass at Juilliard in 2000. And I said, hi, Carol, I'm playing this piece. Could you maybe give me a small tutorial? So she sat down and she wrote, uh, well, I wrote, she said, antiphonal parts should be in the balcony. If you don't have a balcony, they should be backstage. She said, put this up an octave because it's in the score, it's not in the part. Uh, here you can do this. Here you can do it was the most helpful little 20 minutes. Uh, yeah. Fast forward 22 years later. Yeah. Here I am 
I met Brevard. No, it was 20 years later. This is when Joanne Paletta is conducting me at Brevard. And at the break, oh, Katie, she looked me deeply in the eyes in that moment. I thought, oh my God, I'm so glad my mascara is on point. <laughs> she said, do you play Lucas Foster's Renaissance Concerto? And I opened my eyes and I said, why, yes, I do. <laughs> I played it in 2000 with Ann Arbor. She said, because I want to do a 100th birthday. And that is such an amazing work. And I said, I agree. Would you like a recording? And she said, yes, thank you. That was it. Wow. <laughs> and I, it could have gone because I'm, I'm wise enough to know, you know, ask once and yeah, it, don't yeah. hang your head on the one, one ask. Right. You got to have the follow-up and then the contract and then the contract yeah. has to be signed and there's a whole lot of stuff before it feels like it's not yeah, real until the end yeah and then yeah I mean you've said that um this is one you feel like one of the more audience friendly concertos out there for flute mm -hmm. so um why do you think that why do you why are you most excited to share it with the New York audience because of what Lucas Foss calls it a handshake across time across the era right yeah. from you've got the Rameau and the Monteverdi. Uh, so you got the Renaissance and then you've got the bridge into the Baroque chromatic, a uh, modal into chromatic. You've got, you know, modal into tonality. It's just amazing what he does. He has me bending pitches and slapping my flute, which I reserve slightly. That's, that's kind of a a fun thing until the third show when you're wondering <laughs> if your flute is still tight enough. It, yeah, technically. So this is uh, Rameau, Monteverdi, and then Joisons, which is a, a very kind of seductive party, uh, interesting, fun um, way of saying we're having fun now, you know, mm -hmm. and it is. Let me describe this to you. I close my eyes and I count. I have repeated these phrases and I looked at Joanne and I said, I am set with these phrases. I'm closing my eyes and going. Wow. There's no, you can't stop. Yeah. It's so multimeter and I have made my way of playing it. It's almost like, it's right of spring like. Yeah. You just got to go. I have to go. And you have the score and you have the orchestra. And I have so much work to do for two and a half pages of counting and playing and memory. And I'm not using music um, that that I got this, Joanne. I know this like it's printed out on the printer. Yeah. So if anything goes wrong, I'm the person to go with. In a way, you know, she and I are partners. And I actually asked her to cue me at the final. I looked at her because I know her well enough. She's been on my podcast. She's conducted me in orchestra and as a soloist. And I said, you could cue me. <laughs> <laughs> and so today, this morning, I had a 1030 concert and she did this every once in a while. It was lovely. And I leaned into her and I leaned into the concert master. I leaned into the bass player who's playing with me I, I was able to play chamber music with the buffalo phil so 
this Renaissance concerto this morning um, was wonderful. It went great. Um, yeah. You seem like you're like on the high after the performance still. Like oh, you still, you know. Um, okay. Not. Okay, so wait, I woke up this morning and I, I had worked out all the dresses. I changed them all. I brought the right dresses. I just changed when I was wearing what? Katie, never once did I think about the shoes. I was like, yeah, I got my shoes. <laughs> it's like, where are my shoes? Uh-oh, I left my shoes in Ann Arbor. <gasps> Honey, I left my shoes in Ann Arbor. Like my husband can do anything, right? Right. All he can do is now worry for me. So I signed off the worry committee. And then I texted my dearest friend in the world, Cheryl, who is with me here in Buffalo. She lives in Niagara Falls. I said, Cheryl, and hopefully she was up. Cheryl, I need I need a size eight shoe. Uh, can you help me find a size eight shoe by 10 a.m.? There's a concert's at 10.30. And I have to walk out, like Foss makes the flutist leave, walk out on this. Okay, so I need a shoe. So I said, could you ask your friend Melanie, who is a dance professor at UB? She's like, I don't know if Melanie is a size eight. Melanie? She came through. <laughs> I wore oh, Melanie's tango shoes, <laughs> black tango shoes this morning. You want to see the dress? Yes, that would be lovely. Yes. So, so you changed this. So you were gonna you were gonna wear this one for a different performance? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, I played in an orchestra long enough to know that the orchestra's like, I wonder what they're gonna wear. Like, yeah. well, I don't disappoint. I brought three dresses for three concerts but yesterday I switched up the order so this is what I was going to wear in Carnegie Hall and I wore it at 10 30 in the morning and I Joanne opened the door of my dressing room and and just lost her breath she said that's so perfect this 10 30 audience they really still want the glamour yeah so oddly enough this is a Marchesa that I found on the Okator Racket TJ Maxx. Do you know that some of the TJ Maxx's have those Okator things? Oh. Oh yeah, you can find like 300 to $1,000 dresses. So this is a Marquesa. I found a Marquesa. I was, I was like, okay. And these are Renaissance colors. That's perfect. I mean, okay. So the problem, the, not a problem. The amazing thing is the sleeve is not attached. So it drapes. Yeah. I love that. So, as all flutists, female flutists can attest, this is important, yep. this is important, and this is important, especially if you're going to walk off stage. Yeah. So invest, it doesn't matter about the length. Invest your $60 to $100 in your seamstress to get this thing shortened, and then you have a, you know, an under $400 Marquesa dress. Are you kidding me? I'm going to wear this a thousand times just yeah. to get used to it. So this was the 1030 in the morning dress. Um, the Saturday night dress uh, where uh, my dear Corinne is coming from Haynes. Yep. I have a special dress for that. And then I have the Carnegie Hall dress. Uh, and, and so I'll save all that. But I just wanted to show you what I wore today that I forgot my shoes. I love that. Well, does forgetting your shoes or forgetting something like that last minute sort of, uh, I mean, do you get any performance nerves and does that heighten things for you or are you just cool as a cucumber and so cool. just, oh, super okay. cool yeah I mean well oh number one okay shoes in Allentown Buffalo 
shoe stores, right? And then you go, oh, and my girlfriend says, oh, I live near an outlet mall. When does the outlet mall? Everything opens at 10.30 or 11. So then you go for a friend. I had, there's the operations manager. There's the person who picked, uh, listen, I can find a pair of shoes by 10.30. Right, that's true. Yeah, I started at 7.30. So then which is, you know, thinking about the prep that goes into a live performance and then the prep that goes into recording session, which you're going to do after, right? Um, That's months, months and months and months. So how do those two lead ups look different for you um, in preparing for the live versus the recording session? And does one of those make you feel a little bit more on edge um, or, or do one of them feel more comfortable to you? Katie, this is my jam. Yeah. Both of those things. Now, I know it's my God-given gift to teach, and I do not take it back. (laughs) But if you want to make me happy and make me sing for my soul, you will put me in front of a microphone or or in front of a person, because at that point, I have someone's ears. In the other sense, I have someone's souls. I have their brains. I have their heart. I'm like, I have to take care of you. But when I get to do my thing, and I've explained this to my students, I actually played for them on the last studio class, and they filmed me, and then I taught myself subsequently later on the video. But that must I be humbling. Not, pardon? That must be humbling to teach yourself. Watch. Oh, we can talk about that in a minute. Yeah. It was fine. It was fine. I'm a teacher. Yeah. Um, but when I get to do the soloist thing, uh, I was put up when I was 12, right? right. When I was a kid, and then doing competitions since I was 15, MTNA, one internet, the, the national MTNA, when I was 15 years old, I know people and I know how to like do this with an audience, not just hope to God that I do okay, but it's, I hope I can communicate with you all what this composer is trying to say. And it's not about me anymore. It's about this instrument that allows me to convey the composer. And so that to me is so fun. So the recording session is harder, everybody, way harder. So in performance, you got your, it's like a wedding. You got your uh, dress, your venue, your uh, makeup and your hair and your jewelry and your, you know, your 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 piece and your everything's ready to go. And it's 20 minutes and you're out, right? Yeah. And the family's there and everybody's there. For a recording session, you have to not impose yourself on anyone you have to come in 110 percent prepared and not waste anyone's time with your ego or what you need you come in and lay it down lay it down lay it down you just do it and <laughs> yeah you just do it so it's a feels like a little bit more pressure i guess it's that's why i was asking yeah it's my job and yeah. it's highest pressure if you ask me, how do I get through the pressure? Um, I can tell you that I don't do an, a full length opera at the Met, right? <laughs> right. I don't do an entire three hour Broadway show every day. Right. I don't dance ballet at the, you, you know, if in comparison, <laughs> yeah, others have done bigger and others have done it before me. Uh-huh. And if that is happening, then and I can do it too. And that is the biggest, biggest strength for me personally. Well, speaking of that, so then who is a big mentor for you now? I know things like that are always changing and fluctuating, but 
who is kind of that person that you look to and you're like, if they can do it, I've got it. <laughs> Her name is MJ Cartwright. <laughs> Hi, MJ. <laughs> no one would actually know her unless I told you about her. Uh, now you're going to go look her up. Yeah. She's my mentor every week at Michigan Innovation Partners. And I was given to her after about a year with uh, Don Manfredi. And these are people who found me at Michigan. Um, it was kind of like the research person said, hey, we got this flute player. <laughs> she, keeps, she keeps saying she has this 3D printing, like a printed diaphragm lib, uh, diaphragm rib lung simulator. It's hard to say, right? Yeah. So um, I got picked up by Michigan Innovation Partners. And MJ is now my mentor every Friday. And she oversees my business plan. My, oh my gosh. I, I went from being a flutist who had a grant for things to being a brand. And when yeah. they said, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna make you become a brand. I, I laughed for months. I laughed so hard. I laugh when I'm nervous, but I laughed with the imposter syndrome kind of in the background. I was like, yeah, right, a brand. But I had these things that I told people about from accessories to skincare to uh, business to recordings to study guides. I, I don't know. Some people are bothered by the amount that I do, but I just, I'm not. Uh, I just do stuff. And, yeah. and, and then I'll, I'll stop. And, and I'll have a library and it'll be fine. Um, anyway, my mentor. That, that's so funny me. that you, that's so funny. That was a conscious effort to, to make you a brand. Cause I think that that um, it, it's so evident, at least from my perspective, I can see that clearly you have a lot of different passions and you're very business minded and you have a lot of other pursuits. And it seems like they all kind of tie in to this cohesive Amy Porter brand. So what, uh, kind of what are the pillars of your brand? What are the values? Um, what do you kind of have as your core beliefs that influence what you do delve into or what you turn down? I think education uh, across the borders is a huge thing. So if you have the education of music and how to play music, which is taking a woodwind instrument, especially taking a breath, right? That's the first thing, the genesis of everything. If you don't know how to do that or where it comes from and you're mysterious about it, it can, it can lead to a lot of different places. But if you say, if you give air to this instrument, it will be, if you give air to your flute, if you give air to your voice, if you give air to the tuba, if you give air to the cello, it will improve your tone, your technique, your vibrato, your concepts of everything. So breath being both voluntary and involuntary, we choose to forget, or I should say not remember. <laughs> so when we breathe, I, I was just humbled by the stories that my adult student was telling me. He's a doctor, David Brown. And he was telling me these stories from the Galway Festival to somewhere else that all these people are saying this and that, Amy. And I was actually taking it on secondhand, but like, are you serious? This is what people, are you serious? And it was that moment that I said, David, 
can you make me a rib cage with a diaphragm? And so, you know, that's where it all began. So where MJ comes in is she is a mentor to me to make sure that this business structure as a house mm -hmm. pillar, that you, there are pillars and the words that you're talking about are actual business related words, mm -hmm. but musicians don't know this and I didn't know it. So it's like I got an MBA in a year with yeah. Michigan Innovation, uh, Innovation <laughs> Partners. Yeah. So MJ, let me tell you what she did. She put the court systems online. When a, she said when a trucker would get a ticket in one state, they'd have to go in person to the, the judge and appear in court in person. Uh, and during COVID, you couldn't do that. So in another state, right? So uh, she helped start this business where now you can, the whole judicial system, and it took a lot of judges and it took a lot of manpower and a whole couple of businesses to make this happen now. But that's really important. And that's only one of the businesses that she has spearheaded. So she, she's got me, uh, <laughs> definitely. Sometimes she's at her place in Upper Peninsula, Michigan. So I'm allowed to be in my place in Upper Peninsula, Michigan when we meet online. She really encourages me to just um, understand that, that the role of a founder is lonely and she's there for me and she's um, building, helping me build. So um, I get paid last. <laughs> um, I, I, I go for content, not anything else. So when you go to aos-wellness.com, AOS you'll find my pillars, which are wisdom. Uh, and it's not that kitschy wisdom. Don't worry about it. It's not kitschy. Uh, it's deep. Uh, wisdom practice, which is everything from your musical practice to a practice of um, standards, you know, <laughs> living up to your own standards every day is a practice. Then we'll have movement and we'll have meditation. And um, so movement, meditation, wisdom, practice, and uh, breathing. Hello, breathing. So breathing is going to always be about the inhalation or the exhalation or both. So we tend to think of uh, the breath as in, but when we think about out, that's flute playing, that's music, that's voice, that's speaking, you know, you can change everything with your air. Yeah. And where do you kind of draw uh, your inspiration from for a lot of these projects and for constantly reinventing yourself? Because I feel like that's another theme to, um, at least to me, like a part of the Amy Porter brand or, or what you're about is you seem to always be evolving. So, uh, you know, where do you draw your inspiration from for that? Madonna. Oh, that's a good one. Right? She's always reinventing. Yeah. Who else is always reinventing? Like, well, I think it's a little less common in the flute community. Jimmy, Jimmy well, Galway, he's always reinventing. There you go. Is that, do you think important in this community, in the flute community to be staying okay. relevant and reinventing and not kind of resting on old traditions or laurels? Yeah. Yeah. It gets lonely. Mm -hmm. um, but if you watch Hacks. <laughs> I love that show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, she, yeah, you get inspiration from that. But also, like I said, the podcast, at the beginning of this whole thing, this conversation, the podcast is the great place where you could just 
say what you want to say until you're a hundred years old. And if anybody wants to listen, they can. If you don't want to listen, you don't have to go there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> until you're a hundred years old. And by the way, if you're a hundred years old, you're very wise. Yeah. Probably doesn't feel great, but you're wise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and last time we were kind of on this uh, podcast together and we were chatting, it was a different time in the world. It was before the pandemic. Um, and you were open then about being really uh, generous with your students and wanting to guide them on their own individual path, uh, you know, whatever that might be for them, giving them different tools for their individual careers, which is not always performance. Uh, so did you start to notice uh, since then and the pandemic and people switching careers or thinking about doing other things maybe? Um, have you seen more of that happen? And have you seen a difference in your students kind of in their, their mindset? I saw a definite shift in um, the ability to comprehend the future Hmm. because all that students could consider when that lockdown happened in March was the now. There was no future. And the future was, oh, six weeks, six months. Remember that? And And I looked straight into the camera and I said, guys, this is a two-year deal. And the looks on 50% of the faces, I won't give a number, but 50%, if it's four, we have this, um, that's just what happens. Now, I'll say it's personal. It's extremely personal. But I have spoken to the people who were freshmen during COVID, and they said it was particularly hard (laughs) to kind of say, oh, is there a future in classical music? Because when you're 17 and 18, this is what you see. Mm-hmm. You see your future is super narrow and this is, but wait, this is what I'm supposed to do. But I tried to tell them that <laughs> let's just hang out and practice. Number one, practice, 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 practice. You have all this time. <laughs> yeah. And then um, let's get innovative. So everyone had to give me um, their lessons up recorded. They sent me the recorded complete etudes, complete pieces. Hi, Professor Porter. I'm going to, oh my gosh, I get the entire Tafanel four. <laughs> now I had to explain, you know, you can like maybe play three or four pages and then say, I'll have the last few pages for you next week. But so then during this time, I would be able to see their, it was like two lessons, right? I touched them twice. I, I saw their practice submission. And then during the lesson, lesson on COVID, I wasn't relegated to the microphone and they were able to you know really just ask me questions and then we could polish yeah Uh, yeah so so yes so the survivors of that are still doing great uh there's an opening for instance in the ann arbor symphony it's very exciting second flute and i have uh nine out of 16 auditioning for second flute of ann arbor some have our freshmen and I'm like, get on the road to 42. And they said, what is that? 42 auditions before you win a principal flute job. Yeah, you gotta get gotta get started somewhere. The road to 42, right. So the yeah. teaching part is um is that that is one thing, but then the empowerment part is the other part, right? Mm-hmm. And telling them there's a future, just hang in there with me. Trust me, trust me, trust me. I got you. Yeah. Did you ever have any doubts? It sounds like you like you never wavered. No. Yeah. 
No, I'm an optimist. I, uh, I take a breath and, um, and sit and listen to the universe. I meditate, I pray, I do a lot of things that listen, like a lot of my senses has to have to listen for me to make sense of 9-11, have to make sense of, you know, the me too. Uh, Cause I, I grew up yeah. way before all this, you know, so I just stay calm. And as they say in yoga, you know, your hands receive, right? Mm -hmm. So I'll just open my palms and receive whatever energy that is coming. And it's always, uh, uh, when I practice, I was telling you about pra the practice channel on my, um, yep. wellness channel. And that's another thing with the podcast is this website. You don't have to go to it if you don't want it. Yay. <laughs> no. AOS hyphen wellness is this repository for all my information that I've ever learned, which is a lot. Mm -hmm. It's a lot. It's from juju stuff to like concrete facts from Samuel Barron. Yeah. <laughs> I got it all. I want to just put it all somewhere. So anyway, these hands can just tell me what needs to happen. And, and I can say, yeah, this isn't going to work for me or this is going to work for me. So, uh, so far uh, I've, I don't turn down a lot uh, because I think if you, if I attracted you, I must need you. I must need you. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's interesting to know. And uh, I mean, Amy, you seem like a very open book and you're just saying you're open and receptive to things. Um, so is there anything that you feel like your students or your colleagues are surprised to learn about you once they get to know you a little bit better? I like um, dance music. That's it. That's your only. I have three dogs. I have two very large dogs and uh, one medium dog. Yeah. Um, I married the boy in my diary at 50 years old. Um, after a string of, oh my God, a lot of just soap opera-ish. Yeah. Uh, my girlfriend today said, your life is a mini series. <laughs> Do you feel that way? A lot of people would agree. Yeah. Yeah. So when they find out there was suicide and there was, there was divorce and there was, oh my gosh, so much hardship in, in, in the people in my life. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't the one saying I have cancer for instance. I don't, I wasn't the one. I feel like committing to, I wasn't committing suicide. I wasn't that person. It's the, the world around me was throwing me one two punches yeah every couple of years and I was making the wrong decisions with the men that I loved and uh wow when people find out they go oh <laughs> okay you're you're uh, you survived your life yeah I survived my life my mom had breast cancer and then liver cancer and died at 66 my father had uh, Alzheimer's and you can't really tell Alzheimer's until an autopsy but you know dementia sets in and then you know when you're when you're acting like my father did for very many years I was going from Juilliard down to you know take care of him I don't know if I mentioned that in the last podcast but so there it started at 26 and by 29 I had one Kobe so I was doing these the dichotomy between how I I've been playing maybe my life has fed so deeply into my playing yeah yeah maybe that's it <laughs> all this craziness it is a mini series if anybody can write it down well you seem like you're in a very happy place 
now yeah. and you're in a really good place um and it's it's just evident by talking with you and we're all really excited to hear you perform and keep up with everything that you're doing and all your projects thank you for being on again today thanks for having me katie anytime bye amy